This is Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. It's new people, new policies, and pros for today's women on the move. Transforming lives through theater education is led by professional teams of experienced actors and teachers serving to prepare new and diverse voices for advocacy in the public square. In today's episode of Transforming Lives at the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C., you will meet a retired U.S. Army major who is leading today's women veterans in finding their voice. Now here is your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. It is the award-winning podcast for today's women on the move. And I am your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. It has been said that if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. In today's conversation, you will learn about the process of transforming lives through theater education. Now, theater education is the combined use of drama and art in education that leads to holistic learning and it leads to holistic healing. The Life Stories program at the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C. is teaching today's women veterans how to create original dramatic works of art by using their own life's experiences. They are empowered to think creatively and to envision new futures for themselves and for their families. Transforming lives through drama and art has been proven to increase one's self-esteem. It has also been proven to reduce the feelings of isolation and it helps in healing past trauma. Today's special guest is retired Major April Harris. She is an amazing actor and teacher at the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C. April is teaching today's women veterans how to find their voice and how to live victoriously. Let's find out more about her important work and community service after this short break. Ally Bank is committed beyond banking. They are making banking smarter and simpler. Their commitment is to their customers and serving every community. They encourage working better together and they are relentless in ally action. As connected corporate citizens, they are focused on environmental, social, and governance issues to promote positive social change and successful business results, which have been at the core of who they are for 100 years. Ally Bank, a responsible corporate citizen who sparks positive change through social impact. Thanks to our sponsors at the William Penn Foundation for their commitment to increasing quality public education and creating conditions for inclusion through community service and through civic engagement. The William Penn Foundation convenes stakeholders and support efforts that builds excellence in public education. It's our 12th anniversary, and we're celebrating all of our national and community partners as we work together in building a pipeline of equality in public service, business leadership, and civic engagement for today's women and girls on the move. Hi, my name is April Harris. I'm a 27-year Army veteran committed to offering my veteran sisters a platform to find your voice, overcome your inner critic, and gain confidence to tell your story. 
I utilize expressive writing and theater aesthetics and storytelling at the Theater Lab, Life Stories Institute in Washington, D.C. And I'm excited to be a part of the podcast posse here at the Women's Veteran Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Good afternoon, April, and welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. Thank you. I'm excited to be a member of the podcast posse. We're very excited to have you join today's conversation so that we can discuss your exciting work that you do in teaching today's military women how to live victoriously. Women Veterans Rock recently announced a community partnership with the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C., because we love the work that they do, and we know that the Theater Lab is transforming lives through theater education. So, April, tell us about the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C. Absolutely. So the Theater Lab, the School of Dramatic Arts, um, it's located at 900 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest in Washington, D.C., has been in existence about 30 years. Deb and Buzz are the founders and the directors currently, and they established the program, and it's just been absolutely amazing. From that, they developed the Life Stories program. And so I received the opportunity to actually go to the Institute. And from there, just started really getting a lot of support from them to do the work. Well, the Theater Lab has various programs. Perhaps you can give us an overview of the kind of programs that they provide for the community. Absolutely. So the classes consist of anything from acting class. Uh, they actually have a conservatory honors acting program. And they even had a, a military person that went to the class and from there went to Juilliard. So anything mm-hmm. from uh, speaking, public speaking, to voiceover, playwriting, you name it, they had it. How long have you been with the theater lab? I have probably been with the theater lab for about four years now. Transforming lives through theater education, that's a very unique approach to the relationship that the theater has built with the community at large. And you've talked about the division that they call life stories, and that seems to be somewhat of a unique anomaly of what they do in the field of drama. Tell us a bit about the life stories program. Anytime you give a performance, it's about your audience. Well, life stories is about the individual. That's about your time to really uh, go deep with your story and convey it. So we take, we take the, the group, the story, sometimes it's just monologues, and sometimes we actually develop an actual play, whatever comes out of the performances and the, uh, mm-hmm. the work that we do with the participants. So when we think about life stories, this program is a combination of educational, it's a combination of artistic. How do they work with and support veterans through the life stories program? And that's how I met Buzz. Uh, the Wounded Warrior program had partnered with the theater lab, and so he came out and uh, the veterans program, and so we signed up, and, and that's how I met him. And uh, from there, it's probably what been about four years ago. Uh, so they're really supportive of veterans, caring of our missions and our family members. Um, at no time did we feel like we were pushed into anything. Everything was taken slow, and it was at our pace and how we wanted to do it. And we really mm-hmm. appreciated that because... A lot of times people can't hear the harsh stories of veterans that may have been to combat. Uh, we have the freedom to really be able to express ourselves the way we wanted to. And then they took mm-hmm. it and added the aesthetics of theater to it. And it's it just amazing performances. Perhaps you can tell our listeners a little about your transformation. You said that you joined the lab four years ago when you uh, first met 
uh, one of your colleagues there. Tell us about your transformation of being connected officially and formally at the theater lab. Absolutely. So how I found theater in the first place, I actually performed uh, probably back in 2012 at the Moth. So the Moth is a competition of uh, storytelling, which I knew nothing about. All I knew that I needed a platform. I needed a platform still while in uniform to speak. Uh, I was doing some healing then, and I just wanted to be heard. And I stood up on that stage, and I told some pretty traumatic things on the Sunset Strip. And, you know, I was the only uh, person of color in there. There were no veterans in there. I went alone, and I stood on the stage, and I just, I just I spilled it all. And all I remember is looking at the light. And uh, mm. my feelings were hurt when I came off the stage because I didn't win. Because I didn't know why I was there. I just knew this was something I had to do. Folks came up to me at the end, and they said, thank you. That's all they mm-hmm. said. And I knew mm-hmm. right then and there the purpose was just to tell your story. People need to hear that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And, and on the stage, you just, you just get to drop some stuff. I left a bunch mm-hmm. of shame on the stage, and I got to do some work. So it sounds like your first stage experience was a competition. It was, which is crazy. It was. So it was a competition. But from that competition, even though you didn't walk away with the blue ribbon prize, you walked away with a lot more. What is it that you got from that experience to help move you in a direction to the work that you do now in terms of healing through drama? There's different ways to be heard. At that time, mm-hmm. I was angry. I, I, I just wanted to scream. It was affecting my job, family. And when I came off that stage, I just felt like, like I had lost weight, like I had mm-hmm. shed some stuff on there. I just left it on the stage. Where I come from, you know, what happens in the house stays in the house. You know, you don't put mm-hmm. your business out there. I dropped it. I dropped mm-hmm. it. And I came out stronger. I would not be uh, talking to you today had that event not happened. I said to myself, Deborah, I said, how do I figure out how more people can get this opportunity? Because again, theater, television, all those things are are seen as, you know, performers and you got to be the best and you got to make money. No. I'm surprised to hear that the first time that they had this open mic forum for people talking about their feelings and experiences, that it was actually a competition, which is, which really surprises me. But it seems as if you took that experience and turned it into something really beneficial. You said that you needed a platform. Why did you feel that you needed a platform at that time in your life? I had experienced some things in in the military. Um, You know, I wore the rank of a major. I just couldn't speak. And again, this has nothing really to do with the military, but it has everything to do with that. How we conduct ourselves uh, the professionalism, mm-hmm. you know, speak when spoken to very much like my childhood, just mm-hmm. without the uniform. And so I, I've been trained well, keep the stuff inside and, and, and just bottle up and deal with it. And you don't mm-hmm. have to do that. But I tell mm-hmm. you what I loved about it, Deborah. I'll use the word healing. I don't want people to get caught up with uh, healing has to be some, cause some traumatic event. It doesn't. It could mm-hmm. be that you need to transition. You need to go Good. from A to B. So that could be from uh you know, that could be us even growing up. Isn't that crazy? Even at my age growing up, because I was shielded by the military, much like if mm-hmm. I had to stay home beyond the age of 18. Going to a new job. I've had people in, in, in my class, uh, you know, lawyers, uh, very prominent. That's because at, at the time in which they were able to choose what direction they wanted to go in, their parents chose for them. So, yes, they mm-hmm. were successful in their career, but now they wanted something for themselves. 
I've had mm-hmm. uh, folks in my class that, uh, you know, empty nest syndrome. So, you know, been a parent for the last 18 uh, years. What do I do now? It's just for me. Mm-hmm. What do I do? It's not that you have been restricted from speaking. It's just that now you're looking for that new thing, that new, what can I do? And, and mm-hmm. then even better than that is a cohort, this family, uh, this tribe that we develop that listens that listens. And these are people that don't even know each other. Well, I love this mantra about transforming lives through theater education. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me that when you had that first stage experience, it was a transformation for you. And you have used a couple of interesting terms such as healing and drama and transition. And as I hear you speak, it helps me to visualize how we connect the dots. We start life off in all of our primary education, our primary relationships at home and at school, and then we make a a change. We make a transition to whatever our careers become. Your career became the military. And then after going through the military, after 27 years, you made another transition, which was back into life. So as I hear Mm -hmm. you talking, Ed, I feel like I'm connecting the dots for you of life happening, serving in the military, and now life is happening again. And that's the reason why I think your use of the term transitions, very powerful, particularly as we look at what you do in terms of transforming lives through theater education. You, you absolutely get it. And, and you had said something to me earlier. That's where I get setting the stage to live victoriously, utilizing the stage to go beyond where I am today. And I love it because we get to play. And, you know, a a lot of adults, we we forgot about how much fun it is to play, uh, Mm -hmm. to to dress up, to to, to try new things on. And and I want to bring up something else that you've said uh, to me, turning your dreams into reality via the manifestation of one's perceived future. Deborah, if you have been doing radio or podcasting for years, and, and now you decide you want to do something different. That's going to take you out of the comfort zone. And, and, and it's also risky, but it doesn't always feel good in our bodies. We get up on that stage, we can play with that. Let's say you want to be a school teacher. The participants can be students. You can kind of play with it. Uh, if it doesn't feel good for you, you can step out of Deborah, and then April could step into Deborah, and then I can mm-hmm. do it my way. You can say, hey, I never thought about that. Let me try that out. And then you step mm-hmm. back into character. We can play with things like that. It just makes it a, a different kind of, of uh, manifestation of this transition. You don't mm-hmm. have to go on the journey alone, and we're all in there together. You know, six, seven, no more than 12 people in the class, and, and we're on this journey together, and we're supportive of each other. And again, mm-hmm. I will keep iterating, and we don't even know each other. Some mm-hmm. people can't even get this at their, fa- you know, within their families mm-hmm. because they're not mm-hmm. sure how the family may react to, you know, changing jobs or uh, why do you want to do that right now? We're just there to support you, not mm-hmm. question what you want to do. I hear these various compartments that you are referring to. You are referring to your stage work that you do to help people live their lives victoriously. I hear mm-hmm. you talking about classroom work, which is where you get in and you roll up your sleeves. And I also hear this continuing theme around transitions. So let's start to break down some of these categories. Talk to us a little bit about the classroom work, which sounds like leads to the stage work. So what happens in the classroom? You mentioned that you have a a class of participants 
which are individuals that come together to share and to learn. Walk us through how a person gets connected to the class, what happens in the class, and then we'll pick up how that leads to stage work. Absolutely. So, again, uh, the classes are listed on um, uh, theaterlab.org. You can go on there. Uh, there's many classes, but definitely mine is called Finding Your Voice. Uh, you can contact me uh, at lifeandvictory.com. Uh, you can contact me at april.harrislifeandvictory.com. Uh, Just reach out. And, again, the classes do cost, but we do for veterans uh, have scholarships. Um, mm-hmm. And if anyone wants to attend my class, contact me directly if you can't afford it right now. We're not trying to make, we're trying to make sure anyone that wants to attend is able to. Um, Good. There's. Uh, the participants sign up. Uh, and, and what I always start off with is uh, a couple easy things. I am. That's the first prompt that I give, and it's a writing. And, and again, that expressive writing, I am. Because that's important. And even with veterans, a lot of us, you know, we'll do interviews, you know, and, and talk about, you know, uh, our time in the service. And it, it, I think it's the rudest thing ever to put a mic in someone's face and say, tell me a story. Because oh, it yes. just depends on where they're at. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, if they had some incidents that, that weren't favorable, that immediately comes to mind. But there, that may not be the story that needs to be told or that they want to tell. This work that I do, I kind of stood back from that and used a lot of my experiences. And I said, well, first of all, who am I? Because that's mm-hmm. important in the story that I tell. And then I asked them, I, I, we work on some streets of weaknesses. I use SWAT. Uh, I'm out program manager by trade, uh, project manager. Mm-hmm. So I kind of use some of those programmatic things to bring out. And, and then mm-hmm. you say, well, what do you want? And you mm-hmm. would be surprised at how difficult it is for us to say what it is mm-hmm. that we want. How often does mm-hmm. anyone come up and say what it is? Well, you know, what do you want? Deborah, what do you want? So mm-hmm. then we kind of hash that out. And, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how when we start to go around the group that, you know, I have to have some that didn't know what they wanted. But as the mm-hmm. others begin to talk, hey, I want that. Hey, I didn't mm-hmm. think about that. So it's that really that bridging and trusting in the creative process to learn mm-hmm. uh, to trust your creative impulses. So again, you know, I used to draw stick figures and I wouldn't show them anybody. Man, I'm so proud of my stick figures now because a lot of times I'll say, uh, you know, I'll ask the class, tell me how your day was. But I will only allow them to use numbers and colors. It just takes you to a different place. And you begin to... Um, kind of connect the dots like you were saying you know mm-hmm. maybe when I see the blue skies I feel better so then when they be able to do their creative writing we'll say well make sure you have something blue around and then oh by the way next time you're getting ready to go for a job interview you know it makes you feel better have something blue around maybe have something mm-hmm. blue in your hand if you get nervous on your interview these are applications we use in life the exercises that we perform are actually taken out of the classroom and really tells us a lot about who we are and how we work with each other. That's the biggest significant thing that I like about it is more compassion for both our, uh, ourselves and others. We're discovering mm-hmm. the capacity to welcome all feelings for yourself and others. Like mm-hmm. if someone begins to cry, and typically they will cry the first day, and we'll laugh, mm-hmm. we'll cry just sharing stories. And I tell mm-hmm. people, don't baby or go to someone just because they're crying, let them, allow them to experience it. And we experience it together. And you'll see that how we were uncomfortable at the beginning, we're not so uncomfortable at the end. Just mm-hmm. allowing people to express their emotion, it's just so much growth. Mm-hmm. It helps us to be more supportive. You know, someone, you know, they're thinking about, you know, moving to a new job or they have to move mm-hmm. to a new base or, or, you know, they're having issues with adult children or whatever the case may be. 
we use some of these techniques. We just, just take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. I don't tell them what to do. We don't need to give advice. Just kind of sit in the space with them. And those mm-hmm. are techniques that we learn, the meditation, the breathing. These are things even on the job. You know, maybe you have an issue at the job. Take that back and just breathe before mm-hmm. you react. And again, mm-hmm. sometimes if we have someone that is really vocal, we'll play with it. Why do mm-hmm. you feel like that? And it's not, and again, I'm not going to say we don't judge because that's what we do, but I'm saying this is without judgment. We're just playing with it. Oh, I didn't even realize that. I, I, mm-hmm. I tell you one that's really uh, one of the success stories. And it is to me because again, I'm military and not all of my participants in the class are military. And, and so again, I am a facilitator. So I allow the participants, but sometimes you have to kind of move them. And and so I told something about my children and, and, and how I had to be apologetic to them because, you know, how the military kind of called, caused me to be uh, less nurturing. It was a young lady that came out of the group and she said, and I didn't know this before, she said both of her parents had served in the military. And she said, that's why I act the way I do. We're not telling people what to do. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't disrespect the mom and dad because we don't know their story. And again, I'm, I'm, it's significant that you only tell your story. We're not trying mm-hmm. to disrespect and tell other people's story, only mm-hmm. your story. And just by mm-hmm. me sharing, Deborah, she was she got that that aha moment. And again, mm-hmm. these folks are paying for this class. The only thing I ever guarantee, because I say I'm just a facilitator, is you'll get at least one aha moment. And it could be mm-hmm. at the end of the class. It could be when the class is over. She wanted to go back and 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 talk to her dad. And again, I don't know her father. Uh, so what we did is we played with that, because mm-hmm. I'm able to take on that role. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to tell you, April, this is just a great explanation of having us understand the classwork segment of what you do. And it's important for us to understand when you say that your workshop at the Theater Lab is called Finding Your Voice, it occupies the space within the life stories component, but your specific segment is Finding Your Voice. And so this classwork segment, you said it was 12 to 15 participants, so we're averaging around 12, and uh, this is a program that typically lasts about eight weeks. And at the end of it, there's some kind of performance. Again, this is a theater lab. This is what we do. And again, mm-hmm. sometimes it's closed. There were maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's just for us, and mm-hmm. they get to choose. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very uh, strategic in, in the directions that I give. And, you, and, and, and it's quite amusing that I'll get some people that are really uh, probably much like Deborah. You know, everything's dressed right, Jared. And it, it, you need that, but I won't mm-hmm. give them that. So they'll mm-hmm. say, well, why do, what is the end state of this? Why do, you know, what comes out of that? You tell me. We're really programmed for that, that, that someone's going to tell you that and you have to do it exactly. You do it any way you want to. If I gave you mm-hmm. some instructions and, and you felt in your spirit that you needed to sing a song and I told you to write it down, Give us a song because a song has been waiting to come out. All I did was trigger something. Bring us what the offering is that you have to offer. We accept it in this space. How often mm-hmm. do you get that where someone says, come as you are and honor what it is that you bring? Well, I don't have a story to tell. We hear that all the time. No one wants to hear my story. My story is not that important. We had a lady and all she did was travel from uh, the DMV area to Texas. And, and we took that and ran with it. And it was so applicable to so many, uh, um, so many of us in the group, our lives. Because we think you had to get on a plane and move. Transition is transition. Well, I'll tell you, 
I think that you do a phenomenal job of bringing to life this segment, the classwork segment of what you do in terms of transforming lives through theater education. And so we look at the classroom segment where on average it lasts about eight weeks. You have about 12 to 15 participants. And here's the value that I hear from the important work that you are doing in helping people find their voice. You make reference, um, repeated reference, an important reference to telling your story. And I think that the value for this for women that are going through transitions, and that would be military women transitioning from military service to civilian life and, and, and other transitions. And I'm going to have you um, speak to some of those transitions, but I can see that there's tremendous value in terms of media training. You started out earlier by saying it's nothing that's more um, frightening and perhaps paralyzing if somebody sticks a microphone in your face and says, tell us your story. So being able to help women package what it is that they have to say and to share. And I think about the other values for this is like an elevator pitch or career interviews or going to sit for an interview for a board position. Finding your voice is an important framework of what you do. Absolutely. So when I got a call from Women Veterans Rock, I immediately felt, and and I've known about you guys for for many years and and what you do for us on the Hill, and, 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 and I immediately thought that sometimes with us veterans, and it could be because of trauma, it could be nervousness, it could be a lot of things, our mm-hmm. stories are not so cohesive. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought when you get ready to go stand and make a difference in policies, your story needs to be cohesive. So we need to be passionate, but, uh, you know, uh, tears is going to be a little much. I've been there and with the tears, but they only want to help April because then they feel me a different way. Mm-hmm. But if you can go up there and be passionate, because again, we're speaking for many, many other women that can't come to the Hill or can't speak. So you need to be passionate. You need to be uh, concise, cohesive with your story. And, and, and we need to take that, mm, that theme and really hit it home. We can do it in theater lab. Finding mm-hmm. your voice can do that for for, for those that, that, that need to speak at that capacity. Finding your voice in the lab. You talk about transitions. Perhaps you can list some of the transitions that you have observed with the women and the military families that you have interacted with through your classroom programs. Transitions, what are them? Absolutely. So I, I, I would tell you that uh, uh, I had a young lady that was in the class, uh, first, you know, because we're virtual, uh, first, maybe two or three classes, she wouldn't even turn her mic on. Um, so she really didn't participate a lot, uh, but continued to come. By the fourth class, the confidence, uh, the fact that people were listening to her, that's transition for her. By the end of the class, she said to me, I have about eight ladies in my family and I need this program. I took it to their, I took it to that family. We worked within that family. And again, it's the dialogue in between the, the elders and, and the younger people, you know, and I'm seeing that even with, with my children that I'm having to adjust the language that I'm using. And, and, and so that type of, tra- that's transition. Again, I've always believed, Deborah, that, and I'm an advocate for change, but I have mm-hmm. to do my individual work before I can become a part of this community and have an active voice. Not mm-hmm. angry, I'm talking about active. We're talking about, again, passionate. Finding your voice, it was designed for that because I wanted mm-hmm. to make a change in the military. This huge institution, I wanted to change it. 
because I knew I couldn't speak and I had rank. What about those that have no rank? And I said, well, hey, you know what? We come out and we can do this. But we have to have the training. Uh, we have to have the understanding. And again, WVR does that type of training on that side. But again, the training does us no good if we can't speak and we don't know who we are. This is a partnership. I think that you're right that there's a very natural connection between what we do in terms of advocacy for military women and military families. And whether that is on the Hill, in the community, on the state yes, level. I just think that this is a tremendous tool, which is the tool of the workshop called Finding Your Voice at the Theater Lab for us to support women and military families in being able to articulate the things that they want to share, the things that they want to advocate for, and the policies that they want to give voice to to gain support. So I just think it's a very natural strategic alliance and i'm very excited about the work that we're going to be doing with you and finding your voice and also the theater lab of washington dc so here we've talked about the classwork and you have just done a beautiful job of bringing to life what participants can experience in your work it's important for us to make note april that we are going to be hosting a collaborative program in um, april and may of this year so this spring yes. Stay tuned because that's going to be the first time that the Finding Your Voice classroom program at the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C. will be hosting participants from the Women Veterans Rock community. I'm very excited and I'm very proud for us to be partnered with you guys. So here we have, we have a really great real-life um, feeling and overview about the classroom work segment of this. Then that leads oftentimes to stage work. And you've made mention that the stage work could either be in an environment that it is public or in an environment that it is just for the class. It all depends on the composition of the group. So help us understand stage work on the public side and delivering stage work on the classroom side. So let's start with the classroom side first, and then let's go into the public side. So, and, and I won't mention any names because I didn't ask permission first, but actually one of the uh, members participated in one of my classes. And mm -hmm. uh, strong, creative, I mean, this is a, she's a true advocate in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. I mean, she's done for years, made mad changes for, for women veterans, for, for veterans, period, but definitely mm -hmm. for women veterans. And so... Mm -hmm. uh, but she was not as vocal in the class, um, mm -hmm. really kind of shy, because we were talking about her. After that class, she is now doing stand-up. Great. She wants more. She wants to do voiceover. Again, mm. it's, just that, it's just like that hurdle. And again, it doesn't have to be something uh, as dramatic like change. And again, that's transition. Now she's mm -hmm. looking, she's saying, this is fun. She's saying, I can speak. People listen to me. That stage mm -hmm. is is, is a metaphor for so many things for so many people. And again, finding your voice is not necessarily the voice. Again, I always tell the class at the beginning, voice is a metaphor. It's movement. It's mm -hmm. energy getting revved up because it mm -hmm. could have been stagnant for years for whatever reason. And we don't, we're not getting in people's business and wondering why they've been stagnant. We're saying, go get them. We got your mm -hmm. back. You know, mm -hmm. how can we support you? And many of us, you know, I think I might have bought maybe uh, nine tickets and we attended her performance and do stand-up. Because, again, it's a cohort. We have you. We don't just bond like this and then we drop you. 
it's a family. It's a tribe. And I hear you making reference to the fact that finding your voice, using the word voice as a metaphor, I, as I hear you explain that, I visualize it as a metaphor for teaching women how to stand their authentic truth about themselves. And so standing in their own authenticity with a level of comfort. That comfort is essential. And and I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make sure that the listeners know safety is of the utmost importance. Mm -hmm. We're not disrespectful. The floor is open, but keeping people safe is my job. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. important because, again, this is not therapy, but I I, I have a saying that says it damn sure is therapeutic. Again, the people are opening up, and you don't want to. You, you once people open up and they haven't in years. If you, if mm-hmm. we mess it up, they will shut mm-hmm. down, and they and we may never get another chance. I, I take that to heart. It is my responsibility. It starts day one, and I think mm-hmm. we're so hungry for that, Deborah. I, I mm-hmm. never have to. I've never in maybe uh, uh, maybe twenty classes had to correct anybody. Just so mm-hmm. compassionate and open because they appreciate receiving that. So here we have the theater lab produces this magnificent program called Finding Your Voice. And we look at this, as I said earlier, in sort of three compartments. And one would be the classroom work. The second would be the stage work, which is a culmination of all of the work that your participants do, putting it together at the end of that eight weeks for some sort of culmination of their activities and whether it is a public or private stage work forum. Mm -hmm. And the third area that we've talked about was the area or is the area of transitions. And it's important for us, April, to have people understand how this work in uh, transforming their lives and to live victoriously uh, in areas of transition. So we've, we've touched on a couple of them. We've touched on transition perhaps as it relates to a new job, um, maybe even a new business. So I'm going to go through and just do a quick checklist. Help us understand why finding your voice could be valuable for those individuals that are looking at a new job or a new career opportunity. Absolutely. So, Deborah, you even said one earlier, um, elevator pitches. Again, going back to who am I and what do I want? If you can't sell it or you don't believe in it, I'm not going to buy it. And, and you got to be able to get financing. We've used this and folks have gone out and, and, and done their elevator pitches. People have had to tell family members certain things and didn't have the courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we practiced on that. You know, and, and mm-hmm. use some words. Again, no advice. We just mm-hmm. listened mm-hmm. and shared the space with them. Um, mm-hmm. Confidence. Again, mm-hmm. you know, the participant now doing stand-up and, and, and wanting even more. Uh, mm-hmm. And these are seasoned people. These are not, mm-hmm. these are not young folks. Also, mm-hmm. another one is, is developing discipline. We start off with, uh, you know, the breathing technique. Um, you know, and again, if, if you get triggered, and again, I'm not a therapist. But I, I need to keep the folks safe. So we'll, we'll do breathing exercises. A lot of people didn't know about the breathing. I'll do a mm-hmm. meditation, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to help us get settled into the space. I, I tell them to think about the space that you're going to do your writing in. Where are you sitting at right now, especially because we're virtual? Why did mm-hmm. you select that space? Because sometimes we don't think about, oh, I got to get my work done or the kids got to get homework. Well, what kind mm-hmm. of, you know, do you have a lot of TV around? Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of pictures are on the wall? Is this conducive to, you know, in a learning environment or even listening? And that's a huge one. 
That's a huge mm-hmm. one. Um, I'm really big on um, making sure that the people are safe by the feedback. So uh, participants are not allowed to give feedback to each other until about the third uh, class. And the reason for that is because they need to learn how to get feedback. You need to, and, and again, if someone tells a story, you don't get to just arbitrarily ask questions. You get to ask, can I ask more questions? Because maybe they're done telling what they want to tell. We don't do that. And again, the other thing is on the I want is uh, tell people what it is you want. I'm giving you what I think you need because you didn't tell me what you want. And they're like, wow, wait a minute. And oh, by the way, are you upset because you've been giving and giving and giving and, and, and no one's appreciative? Did you ask them what you gave them? Is that what they wanted? So again, so many different areas we can do that. And we've had people, you know, going back to their jobs and, and being able to communicate with their subordinates or their leadership differently. And again, mm-hmm. we get to play with it. We get to have fun with it. It's not like you're being reprimanded. Just think about it. Ah, I never thought about it like that. So we, mm-hmm. we, like I said, we laugh together, we cry together, um, and reducing stress. Some of the practices that we use help, but really reducing the stress of, man, I need to talk about this. And again, sometimes, you know, pretty deep, eh, it gets pretty deep. It can get pretty deep day one. Uh, but people can appreciate that. And again, direction and insight. A lot of times you just listen to someone else's story and you say, aha, I didn't think about that. A lot of times mm-hmm. we share resources, Deborah. We're saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? I went here. I went there. Again, if you mm-hmm. don't want to use the resources, that's fine. But some folks didn't even know they were out there. So gaining that mm-hmm. clarity and direction for your life, listening and writing is, is mm-hmm. huge. So when we look at compartmentalizing the areas in which this kind of forum can add value to the work and lives that we do as women and particularly as women in military families. The first thing in the first compartment you talked about was advocacy and how finding your voice can really lend support and clarity to giving voice to policies that we all care about. And the second area you made reference to is areas such as new jobs or new business. I said earlier, potentially interviewing for a board, all of those seem to fall in a similar category. But I have two other transitional areas that I'd like to have you speak to, and I'll give them to you one at a time. You made reference earlier to being an empty nester. How does a forum like finding your voice and standing in your own truth and um, being able to be an authentic communicator, how does that help an empty nester go through that sort of transition? Uh, so I had a participant, and, and uh, her last son was graduating from college uh, right during uh, our session. And she never thought about anything beyond motherhood. We were able to share different ideas. She was able to hear what other women were doing. Uh, and, it, and it turns out that she does some of her hobbies is something that someone would buy. And she said mm-hmm. she never thought about it. Uh, she wrote some beautiful poetry, uh, and, and she had been wanting to do a book. So again, mm-hmm. this, we were, and, and this, maybe two or three times in a class where we were the first to hear something that someone had written and no one else knew about it. Be able to share that in that environment is huge. So it just depends on what they want to do. And again, um, you know, for the parents that are in there that have moved on, a lot of times they get to share, you know, some of the things that they're really nervous about. Um, We were able to buy, excuse me, some risk management sort of aspects to it. You know, this is what I tried or this is what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. as we get older, we can't just go out on a limb. Uh, we got to be mm-hmm. a little more cautious, you know, financial reasons. Mm-hmm. So people were yeah. able to, you know, pass out grants and information. So when you look at the transitions that are required of people who are now empty nesters and transition 
for those individuals that are going through retirement, do you see them as being the same? And, and, and it seems like we would categorize that area as making major life changes. Do you see similarities or differences between being an empty nester and preparing for the transition to retirement? I see it as the same. And the transition out of the military. We're so, um, you know, I've been doing this for so many years. What do I do now? And again, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people don't are not that fluid using the computers, and so they may not know about research. Again, they've been stuck in in this kind of zone that has worked for them. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. lucrative, maybe, and so they didn't need to venture out into these other areas uh, that we mm-hmm. now have to use to even find resources or uh, additional jobs or even resumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even talk about resumes and things that you need to put on there, and we and that mm-hmm. goes back to you know when they did. Uh, we develop their strengths and weaknesses. A lot of people mm-hmm. say, well, I'm really a people person and I want to help people. And then on one of the weaknesses, I don't like people. And again, mm-hmm. then what I love about it is I, all I do is give the words back. I don't, I don't have to tell you that it's a contradiction. Once you say it out loud, it's a contradiction. But if you mm-hmm. really want to work with people, we're people. Work with us. Well, this is fantastic because what I hear you saying about this big T of transition is that there's four major areas that you have identified in today's conversation. I asked it last, but I think we should put it first. And that is one big transition, and that is transitioning from military service back into civilian life. The second would be advocacy that we do jointly and separately around advocating for policies for military families. The third would be new opportunities, whether it's a new job, new business ownership, And then a fourth would be preparing ourselves for the transition and major life changes. Now, April, I am very interested in having you share with us what makes your work with women veterans and military families so gratifying for you. Oh, just giving back. I don't have to wear the uniform. First of all, I am a leader. I was born a leader. But giving back. And and, 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 and I know there's so many gaps. I don't want to go into people are doing wrong and right. Regardless, there are gaps. And so it is my responsibility to, to help fill those gaps until they can be, you know, changed at a higher level. We can get it done together. And again, I think one of the significant things for me is community. Coming out of this is building community. And I tell folks that, and that's why I've, I've, uh, and they've agreed that Theater Lab will keep finding your voice uh, virtual. I will do in person, but it will remain virtual because I'm getting folks from all over the U.S. They have nothing to do with or want to be an actor. They're finding it because they see finding your voice. That's what's going on in Deborah. Well, that's really wonderful to hear because when we talk about and make reference to the Theater Lab of Washington, D.C., I'm hearing you say that we can move beyond the brick and mortar of that building because with this recent uh, health situation in terms of public gathering has done is giving you a more expanded audience because you are doing your workshops in a virtual environment. Absolutely. I've had uh, participants all the way uh, Hawaii. Okay. And if so it were not for uh, the virtual, uh, they wouldn't, uh, I don't even know how they found this. Well, I do ask them, uh, but it's just a search. People are looking for that platform, much like I was when I wound up in a, at, at the mall uh, in a competition, which mm-hmm. technically wasn't healthy because, you know, I'm telling my story and then I lose. Um, but we're looking for the platform to be able to be heard. 
What should we learn from your work in providing a platform for others to be heard? Perhaps you can tell us the top three things that you want your listeners to know about what we should learn from this environment of giving people a platform to be heard. I think it would be trust in the creative process. Tell your story and be more compassionate for yourself and others. I like that. April, thank you for sharing those top three things that you want listeners to know about the work that you do. Number one, trust the creative process. Number two, tell your story. And number three, be compassionate with yourself and be compassionate with others. As we close today's conversation, I'd love to find out if there are any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share. Absolutely. Someone wants to hear your story, and someone needs to hear your story, and your story needs to be told. Thank you, Miss April Harris, for today's conversation and those powerful words of wisdom. And thank you for joining us here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. Thank you. We thank Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, a national enduring partner of Women Veterans Rock for their longtime support and for their shared vision of service, inclusion, and equality. This episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast, is sponsored by the Healthy Caregiver Community Foundation, where we are dedicated to building better communities. For more information on how to become a sponsor, visit our website at www.womenthatsrock.org. And there's one last thing before we go. Transformation allows us to move forward in our lives. It gives us permission to experience new and exciting things that are happening all around us all of the time. Being open to change and learning new skills and working on your inner self will bring peace, joy, and clarity to your life. Transformation is the act of or the process of transforming oneself. And then, like an epiphany, you find self-acceptance sparked by self-transformation. And in the words of Jillian Michaels, an American personal trainer, businesswoman, author, and television personality. And she says, transformation is not five minutes from now. It is a present activity. It is in this moment where you can make a choice to open up and cultivate a healthy self-image and build a strong and healthy sense of self-esteem. Now, Posse, take us home. 